0: All right, so um, so we've been looking into the book of Romans, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. We're discovering what dangerous faith looks like. And I need to give you a, just a small example of dangerous faith. Have you ever done something for someone be, and and you weren't sure how it was going to turn out? You know, you, you, like, will it push their buttons or will they be blessed by it? Have you ever done that? Yeah? Okay, good, good. Four of you have. Okay, So um so... Um last night, Betsy, my amazing wife, said to me, hey, um, if you pick out a shirt for tomorrow, uh, I will iron it. I'm like, awesome. So uh, so I pick out a shirt, and I bring it down, and she goes, oh, that shirt? <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I really like this shirt. And she's like, okay. And so I went to bed early, and, and she ironed my shirt. And when I came down this morning, everybody's still asleep. And... And I noticed my shirt was, you know, hanging up in the kitchen, but there were two other shirts <laughs> hanging up in front of it. I'm like, "Now that's dangerous faith." <laughs> so, doesn't this shirt look great? I picked I picked the I got the hand. I picked the first one even, not the second one. So, uh so uh Betsy's been yeah making sure I look great all the time for. So when I got out of the Army, the Army was I'm colorblind, if you don't know that. The Army was easy, you know you, you knew exactly what to wear every day, right? And it was color coordinated already. You didn't have to figure that out. And so when I got out of the Army and I was working in business, you know, it was business casual. And so literally, well, we still had to wear a tie, I think. So she wrote on she made a little chart and she on all my pants and shirts. And my tie, she put a number, and then there's a chart. Pants number one goes with shirt three, five, seven, and tie two, and four. That's no lie. We did that like for nine years. I would pick out my clothes based on her chart. Anyway, so dangerous faith. Now you know how I reacted, dear. I thought I was very appreciative of your dangerous faith. So, <laughs> now when I say dangerous faith, I want all of us to understand and, and, if anybody ever listens to the tape from outside the church and just listens that when we say dangerous faith we're not talking about dangerous faith like isis and al-qaeda okay we're talking about dangerous faith following jesus in such a way that we're danger a danger to evil brokenness and despair okay so just so that's clear so um, so far, God, through the book of Romans, is encouraging us to trade a safe life for a dangerous faith. We're called to trade up to a dangerous faith. So if you're a believing, trusting, faithful follower of Jesus, you've crossed that line, right? You have received the gift of eternal life. And so now life is no longer about you. You've crossed the line. You have eternal life. Now life is about you crossing back over the line and helping others come to that point where they receive eternal life. You become, with dangerous faith, the right person at the right place at the right time. And if you're here and you're, you're trying to figure out Jesus, you're trying to figure out what the Bible says, you're trying to figure out your faith, what eternal life is all about, you are, you are welcome here. You are so welcome here because all of us are either there with you or we've been there. None of us have figured it all out. All of us have struggles. Amen? And we desperately all need to be closer to Jesus. We desperately need to find and experience the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So with that said, let's uh, turn to Romans chapter 2. Verse 12, page 940. As we study the dangerous faith described in the book of Romans today, we see that our lives move in the direction of our hearts. Your life moves in the direction of your heart. My life moves in the direction of my heart. Why do people do the things they do? (laughs) Thanks. Yes. Why does... I've got a few more rhetorical questions, but you're right on. So why does a person get so drunk, they get lost in their own neighborhood, they can't figure out which house is theirs, and so they're knocking on doors, scaring the neighbors, neighbors are calling the police, and three amazing Cleveland police officers have to come and walk that person home so they don't get in any trouble. Why does a man beat his girlfriend? Why does a person choose criticism and control over kindness and a servant's heart? Why do friends walk away when there's conflict instead of sticking around and working things out? Why do people get so angry and impatient? Why are people afraid of what others will think of them? Have you ever watched someone close to you? Uh, they do something that's inappropriate or a little bit self-destructive and, and you very lovingly look at them and say, what were you thinking? And they look back at you and go, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> right? We do a lot of things without thinking, don't we? A couple of weeks ago, Betsy and I went to visit Corky uh, while she was uh, sick, not feeling well, just out of the hospital and a fellow church family member was leaving as we got there, and she had been there all day, most of the day, cleaning and cooking and just visiting with Corky. And uh, I'm sure that person did not spend any time thinking about the pros and cons of visiting Corky. She just didn't, because that's the condition of her heart. She was faithfully and joyfully serving Corky, because of the condition of her heart. She didn't have to think about it. Your life moves in the direction of your heart. Now in the Bible, in most places in the Bible, the word heart refers to to our inner being, our inner person, our heart. So our hearts direct our thoughts and our actions and our inner actions. For example, Jesus says forgiveness comes from the heart. He also says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So God wants to give us new hearts. So that our thoughts, our actions, our inner actions are aligned with his heart. So God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. I know I said Romans, we're going to get there, trust me. But just Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, 27. Listen to what God says through the prophet Ezekiel. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God wants to give us new hearts so that the Holy Spirit can align our new hearts with God's heart so that we can walk on the path that he set before us. Our hearts or our lives are go in the move in the direction of our hearts. And listen to what happens when our heart is aligned with God's heart. Verse 28 in Ezekiel 36. You shall dwell in the land that I gave you to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Can you think of anything greater than just to be a person who God says? You are my people, and I am your God. So your heart is the real you. So when you get up in the morning tomorrow and you look in the mirror, that's not you. The real you is your heart. Your thoughts, your actions, your interactions are a result of the condition of your heart. Your life is always moving in the direction of your heart. So why do we do the things that we do? Because our hearts are moving us in that direction. So as we look at Romans 2, verse 12 through 29, we need to understand some of the context, or we'll have difficulty understanding the text. Romans was written about 25 years after Jesus was crucified, buried, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. And so Jesus was Jewish, And following Jesus was a continuation of the Jewish faith. Today, Jewish followers of Jesus are called Messianic Jews. And they continue to practice their Jewish faith with Jesus as their Messiah, their Lord and Savior. But at the time Paul wrote Romans, Jews were wrestling with being Jewish and following Jesus. And Gentiles or non-Jews were wrestling with following Jesus but not being Jewish. So there was this this swirling, this trying to figure out this faith that came from Judaism, but but Jesus is the Messiah, and and I'm not a Jew, but I'm following Jesus, or I'm a Jew, and I'm following Jesus. How does that affect my Jewishness? So this was all trying to be figured out, and that's the context of the book of Romans. Also, when Paul talks about the law in this passage, he's talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the foundation of the Jewish faith. A couple of years ago, we had a 10-week seminar in the Old Testament taught by a Messianic Jewish rabbi, Eric Lakatos. If you're involved in that, you knew how awesome that was. And uh, I want to read a quote from their website, and it says this about this subject. While many aspects of Torah are found in Messianic Judaism as a unique expression of our Jewish faith in the Messiah, We do not believe that the Gentile church, so that would be us, or Gentile Christians universally, are called to the same expression as us. In fact, it is the unity of Jew and Gentile in Messiah, in Jesus, in spite of our cultural diversity, which glorifies God in the body of the Lord via the new man, meaning Jesus. In our view, therefore, it is wrong to admonish Gentile believers universally to think that they need to observe the Torah, It is clear, furthermore, that the apostles dealt with this precise question of Gentile Torah observance and answered it in Acts chapter 15. So if you want a little more context, look at Acts chapter 15 sometime this week. Take about five or eight minutes to read Acts chapter 15. It will give you another sense of what we're talking about here. So while this is our understanding uh, about Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus today. This was all being figured out in 57 A.D. when the book of Romans was written. And so that's a bit of the context as Paul addresses Jews and Gentiles and how their faith works in the book of Romans. Clear? Helpful? Alright. Alright, so we're going to begin to read today's passage. At the very beginning, we see God is impartial when it comes to Jew and Gentile. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And so in this one verse, we see the consequence of sin is the same for Jew and Gentile. Those without the law are the Gentiles. And their sin leads to eternal separation from God. Those under the law are the Jews. And their sin leads to eternal separation from God, per what the law says. So Paul is telling us, let's be clear, no one escapes the consequence of sin. Your life is always moving in the direction of your heart, and a sinful heart will lead you away from God and towards sin. So God is impartial. All sinners are treated the same. And that is very good news. You were thinking, boy, that doesn't sound very good. (laughs) But it's good news because of verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So the consequence of faith is the same for the Jew and the Gentile. When Paul says hearers of the word, or hearers of the law, I'm sorry. He's referring to those who would go to synagogue, hear the word of God preached, hear the Torah spoken, and then they would not obey it. They were hearers of the law. He's saying just because you go to synagogue, just because you go to church and perform other religious rituals does not mean you are justified. And we're going to talk about what justified is in a moment. Paul says that those who are doers of the word, those who are believing, trusting, and faithful followers of Jesus, they will be justified, the doers of the word. So it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. If you have a believing, faith, uh, believing, trusting, and faithful faith in Jesus, you will be justified. Your life is always moving you in the direction of your heart, and a faithful heart will lead you closer to God. So God is impartial. Impartial, we are, we, we are all treated the same by God. So our physical appearance does not matter. Where we live, how much money we have does not matter. What we smell like does not matter. What we have done in the past or what we are struggling with today does not matter all that matters is the condition of our hearts a sinful heart leads away from god and a faithful heart leads you closer to god paul says it's the doers of the law justified so to fully understand this statement we need to understand what being justified means and then we will know who the doers of the word are The gospel, the good news of Jesus, calls us to believe in Jesus and trust him for our salvation, our rescue from life separated from God. And as we hear the gospel, God the Father is speaking to us. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit is working in us. When Peter was preaching, it's recorded in Acts chapter 10, He's he's sharing the gospel. And listen to what happens. While Peter was still saying these things, in other words, he's sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So the Father is speaking through Peter the gospel, and the Holy Spirit is working at the same time. And listen to what happened. Verse 45, And the believers from among the circumcised, so in other words, from among the Jews who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So God is speaking, and the Holy Spirit, God the Father is speaking, and the Holy Spirit is working. And then a person responds in faith, a believing and trusting faith that says, I believe Jesus died on the cross, to pay for my sins, and I surrender my life to Jesus. A believing, trusting faith. What does God do with that? Justification. God must respond to our faith, and this is when justification happens. Romans 3 talks a lot about justification, but today we need to talk about it just a little bit. Justification comes in two parts. Part one is when God forgives our past sin. God is impartial. No sin is too big or too small. No number of sins is too great or too small. No one is ever too sinful to be reached by God. So when we believe and trust in Jesus, our faith leads God to forgive all our past sin. I want you to think about this for a moment. Our sin, my sin, required Jesus to go to the cross so that I could be forgiven. And We say go to the cross, but we can't pass over what go to the cross means. It means He was nailed to the cross. He was tortured to death. In a horrible way. So that. So that my sins. Could be forgiven. By his father. Can't ever gloss over. The magnitude of that. And the second part of justification is when we then receive the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of God. Can you go back one? I forgot to explain my cool picture there. So on your left, that's me. All the minuses, sin. Okay? And so part one, forgiveness of past sins. My sins are gone. Okay, now, Marianne, there you go. Okay, so uh, part two, of justification is when we receive the righteousness of Jesus. When God forgives our sins, He doesn't leave us in this kind of neutral state. Okay, our sins have been washed away. They've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But this isn't, uh, part one can't end there. We can't end justification there because then it's like God gives us a second chance and then says, now if you never sin again, you'll make it. Well, that would be bad, wouldn't it? And instead, God imparts His righteousness to us. The righteousness of Christ. Part two of justification is when God declares us righteous. Not by anything we've done, but by what Jesus has done for us. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus for all who believe. Do you remember being justified? You believed in Jesus. You trusted Him with your life. Your sins were forgiven. You were made righteous, not perfect, but you were made righteous in God's eyes. Do you remember? Tell that story. We're going to uh, have folks in the weeks ahead share their story with us, the church family, about how God met them where they were at, And change them how they how God responded to them and their faith. So, God's response to a faithful heart is justification, forgiveness of sin, and receipt of God's righteousness. And remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also the Greek, also the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. When you're forgiven and made righteous, you really begin to live. Your believing, trusting, faithful faith now becomes dangerous. Dangerous to evil and brokenness and despair so your life is always moving in the direction of your heart and a faithful heart will lead you on a path that will be dangerous dangerous to evil and brokenness and despair would you like evil and brokenness and despair to leave this planet well god is making us dangerous to play our part in god's mission Now, in the rest of chapter 2, Paul shows us that even our faith is a matter of the heart. In verse, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of summarize and move quickly here. In verse 14 through 16, he again uses the example of Gentiles to show us that our faith that leads us to righteousness comes from our hearts. Paul uses the phrase, the law is written on our hearts. Faith is a matter of the heart. And from our hearts come our actions and our words and our interactions. And then, verse 17 through 24, and read these during the week. Read the whole chapter of Romans, chapter 2. Uh, in verses 17 through 24, Paul uses the example of the Jews who put their faith in religious ritual instead of Jesus. He says, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Paul wants us to understand. That religious ritual does not equal faith, and from a faithless heart comes sin. So your life is always moving in the direction of your heart. And a faithful heart will lead you to actions and uh, thoughts and actions and interactions that honor God. Now, in the last five verses of chapter 2, Paul uses circumcision, circumcision to illustrate his point that faith is a matter of the heart. I'm not sure I would have used. Uh, I'm not sure I ever would use circumcision as a sermon illustration. Too many painful memories. I'm just kidding. I don't remember a thing. Seems circumcision seems like a strange way to illustrate a point unless we understand the context. For the Jewish people, circumcision was the sign of their special covenantal relationship with god on the eighth day after a jewish boy was born he would be circumcised fathers had to make sure that their sons were circumcised on the eighth day it was so important that even circumcision could even be done on the sabbath when nothing else is supposed to be happening even jesus was circumcised so paul uses the important jewish ritual to make his point that religious Ritual does not equal faith. So if you're Jewish and you practice circumcision, which is a sign of your faith to God, but you are not faithful, your religious ritual has no value. That's what verse 25 says. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And second, if you're a Gentile, And do not practice the religious ritual of circumcision, but faithfully follow God. Your life is the sign of your faith. And you do not need the religious ritual of circumcision. Verse 26. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So that's enough uncircumcision. But we get it, don't we? If we practice religion... But our hearts are not aligned with God. Our religious practices have no value. Periodically, I'll hear about a pastor uh, leading a, a large church and a speaker at conferences, and and uh, they seem like they have it all together. They're the experts on on how to be a pastor and a leader, and 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 then their lives get out of alignment. And their lives fall apart. And they're no longer a pastor of that church and a speaker at a conference who has it all together. They don't write any more books. And that grieves my heart. But I also know how easy it is for a pastor to practice religion, to let religiosity creep into their lives, and to get out of alignment in your relationship with God. So Paul tells us that religious practice does not equal faith. But thankfully, Paul doesn't just leave us there. Continues, well, I guess we're back to circumcision. He continues to use circumcision as an illustration. He tells us that faith is a matter of the heart. Verse 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Now, religious practice may not be what is creeping into your heart and knocking you out of alignment. But is there something else? Is there something else that has your heart out of alignment with God? And the answer is probably yes. We all have something. It wants to bump us out of alignment. How closely do you want to follow the path that Jesus has set before you? Have you heard of the one degree mistake? So it's this business theory that, there's, that in every business there's something that's one degree off, and but that one degree is what's, what's keeping that company from getting to where it wants to be. And you may be thinking, one degree, Tim, that's hardly anything. I mean, 180 degrees, that's the opposite direction, right? That's bad. You know, maybe 90 degrees going in kind of perpendicular, that's not good. But one degree, one degree is no big deal. Did you know that if you fly, if, if your airplane leaves JFK, New York City, and flies to LAX, Los Angeles, California, and the pilot is one degree off, they will land 50 miles from the runway. Now, now, if your plane crash lands in the ocean and the pilot says, not really my fault, I was just one degree off, you'd be like, no, no, sorry. One degree is too much, right? Your life moves in the direction of your heart. How closely do you want your heart aligned with God? We want it aligned perfectly, don't we? We don't want to be one degree off. We want to be aligned perfectly. But we're not perfect. And so we need constant realignment. It's like driving, right? Try this sometime. Get get on the road and just don't move. Just drive. Right, you're going to run into something even if even if you turn even if it's a perfect straightaway and you just do this you're going to crash you're constantly correcting constantly adjusting cuz the road and your car won't keep you aligned i was driving the church van the other day and uh, i took my hands off the wheel just for a moment to put my gloves on and oh man that thing is so out of alignment I'd ask for a mechanic recommendation, but I already got one from the first service. The van like went, woo! I mean, I had, like, I had like a millisecond to grab that wheel and not hit a mailbox. Yeah, no. I mean, yes, but no. Jesus like, no, you take the wheel. So your life moves in the direction of your heart, and faith is a matter of the heart. So to line your heart with god's heart requires you to grow in your faith so how do we do that how do we line our hearts with god's heart we need to grow our faith so how about believing faith to grow your believing faith study the bible you got to do it you get to do it no one will stop you in our country from having a bible having 10 bibles having 100 bibles one in every room one in every bathroom it doesn't matter you can you you get to study the bible i can't encourage you enough to study the bible if you don't know what to do i i don't know i don't i don't get it tim call me we will we will make it happen it, if you say you know tim I want to study the Bible, but I don't have enough time. You have enough time. And you know you have enough time. I asked if this next one was too harsh in the first service, and they said no, so I'm going to share it. So if you say, uh, you know, Tim, really, to be honest, I'm too lazy to study the Bible. Or, you know what, I've arrived, I don't need to study the Bible, I've got it figured out. Then here's what you need to do. Tighten your seatbelt. Because you're going to crash land 50 miles from the runway. You know what I'm saying? All right, so to grow your believing faith, study the Bible. To grow your trusting faith, set God focused priorities and plans. When you get home, even this afternoon, think about your week. Look at your week. Are my priorities and my plans focused on God? Do they keep. Keep my heart aligned with God's heart. And if you answer and say, mm, I could adjust, then, then make a change. Make one change. Change something that will help your week be more focused on God. Because if you're not focused on God, you'll never trust Him because you're not letting Him show Himself in your priorities and your plan. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6 Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven and jesus isn't talking about money he's talking about your life your life is a treasure lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also And to grow your faithful faith. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Demonstrate that. If you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you and is just waiting to be loving and kind and faithful and and self-controlled. And so let that come out of you the work of the holy spirit let it come out of you thinking well, i don't really get all that how do i keep in step with the spirit tim read galatians chapter 5 start there take you about eight minutes so as we grow in our faith we align our hearts with god and as we align our hearts with god we become dangerous to evil brokenness and despair your life moves in the direction of your heart. What direction are you going in? What direction do you want to go in? What will you do to stay in alignment with God's heart? Let's pray. Lord, I, uh, Lord, I ask that you would help me stay in alignment with your heart. And Lord, I pray for our church family. Every person in this room, every person is here because they want to be closer to you. And so Lord, would you help us? Would you help us get into alignment? Holy Spirit, would you work in us? Father, would you speak to us? Jesus, would you lead us so that our hearts are aligned with your hearts so that we can be dangerous? Lord, there is too much brokenness. There is too much despair. There is too much evil in this world, Lord. And we know it grieves Your heart more than it grieves ours. And so, Lord, would You help us be aligned with You so that You could use us to help people out of brokenness and despair, to help people away for, move away from evil and experience your grace and your mercy and your love. Lord, we want our hearts to be aligned with yours so that our lives move in a direction that honors you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now, and for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www.kurtlandchristian.org.